if you're thinking about how you want to establish a relationship, like more from a first impression perspective, right? And you're like, you want to shake, it's like, it's like your virtual handshake, right? Like you want to shake a hand. You don't want to like crush someone's hand you, unless you do, which I mean, it's all, it's all strategy, but. <laughs> Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community conversation and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Rachel Kozar of Virtual Sapiens with a sidekick product that you're going to love hearing about. I can't wait to learn all about this and myself today, folks. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. I am going to guess that you're looking at my screen right now and it's like curling your skin. Like, okay, what do I do? Oh, well, I can, um, I can tell you that your lens is too low. (laughs) So I should, my head should be closer to the top or. So that's already, yeah, you're making adjustments that are already better, but essentially like your your the your lens isn't at eye height and so you're kind of looking down on the lens which means that you're like much higher than I am right now. I'm looking down on you. Yes. And you'd never want to do that. Well, it's just if you're thinking about how you want to establish a relationship like more from a first impression perspective right and you're like you want to shake it's like it's like your virtual handshake right like you want to shake a hand you don't want to like crush someone's hand you unless you do which I mean it's all it's all strategy but (laughs) um if you if you want to be like hi nice to meet you equal then yeah I, I usually dismiss the hand crusher as um not part of my community you know uh-huh yes yes right so then you you move the the uh, mobile desk down to enhance what you have behind you. You get a different look, but yeah. So is it ideal to be sitting down because I I have a hard time standing and aligning the screen the way I'm not looking down. Right. So how much distance should be between your head and the top of the screen? Ideally. Yeah. So the three things you want to, think about for framing are your distance from the lens, right? So your distance from the lens is actually fine, right? You don't want to be any closer than you, right? Yeah. Then I'm a close talker, right? Yeah, right. Well, exactly. Exactly. Like there are many things that are very specific about video meetings and video communication, but a lot of, it's all the same foundational rules, right? Like proxemics, social distance, changes depending on the relationship we have. So if we have a professional relationship, we want to maintain that like two and a half ish foot distance from the person at least. Right. And so if you, if you're getting really close to the lens and the other person is like, wow, like very aggressive. Like, I feel like this is too aggressive, too intimate. Like it's not aligned with, with our relationship. So yeah, social distance, social distance, proxemics, distance to the lens. You're great. Uh, lens height is literally like if you're using an external camera or you're using the camera that's embedded or integrated within your laptop, that lens should be like, you should be able to just look straight ahead and have your eyes align with your lens. That's the ideal. You don't want it too high, too low. And then the the third thing is um, 
as you said, like your, your vertical alignment within the lens, a lot of times people think that they want their face to be right in the middle of the screen. But what that does is it leaves all of this negative space that is very uh, valuable real estate on video, right? And so you want to actually have just like an inch of space between the top of your head and the upper limit of the screen. And then all of a sudden it's easier to use your hand gestures. You're seeing more of this human versus, right? Which we see a lot of is like this kind of thing. Ah, so for those listening, which is all of you, (laughs) uh, Rachel moved her camera. So there was a large swath of space from her head to the top of the screen. And it not only made her look smaller, but it made my eyes look away from her. It made my eyes look to that empty space, right? So it's less personal also. Yes. Interesting. What about backgrounds? For those (laughs) listening, again, let me describe. Really subtle, uh, minimalist, but really well-appointed green on both sides, small shelf, minimalist. Again, if she were pushing a book, it would sit right on that shelf next to her shoulder, but it's real, right? This is not a virtual screen. Cool. It's it's very real. So I have very strong opinions when it comes to backgrounds. And I say all of them with the caveat that you know you do what you can with the resources you have, right? Um, but the interesting thing is that now that the world is shifting away from everyone is at home and no one has any choice about it, now we're going coming into the space where people are able to a certain extent to decide whether or not they want to work remotely or if they do want to work remotely, whether they're working in a co-working space or, you know, if you're coming into the office a certain number of days or, you know, so there's a little bit more flexibility there, which means that I think the, the level of presence and put togetherness and ability to really be effective as a communicator on video rises, right? So when it comes to backgrounds, I think there's a huge opportunity to decide and choose what you want the other person to see in your background. It doesn't have to be a blank wall, right? Blank white walls are, are pretty uninteresting, but a blank white, white wall can often be easier to manage than a very crazy, noisy background that has a lot going on and is either like a messy room or a, a window, right? A window where you're then backlit. Um, the general rules of thumb that I like to share with background are have it be as simple and as intentional as possible. And, and if, if at all possible, don't use a virtual background. (laughs) So that (laughs) is exactly where I was going to go with it. And thank you for going there. Uh, listeners, I, I, uh, have a lot of the same background. I can't wait to dig into my background. Um, but I also do a virtual background a lot. So when I'm Mm -hmm. remote and I'm making a move, I took a picture of this background. I've taken a picture of uh, my office, the library, and a couple of other locations um, as a green screen effectiveness. And obviously, it's not quite there yet, but I'm also not saying I'm actually there, you know, and you can almost indicate through the blurred hand movements that you're not there. They can ask you where you are, Mm -hmm. but you also can both work cohesively not asking each other where you are which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool yeah right so my main gripe with virtual backgrounds is that they tend to be more 
of a distraction mm. than whatever it is that you're trying to, um, to cover up in most cases, just because our brains are already on overdrive in terms of stimulation when we're on a video call, right? We are trying our best not to multitask and oftentimes failing miserably at it. And we, you know, we're, we're depending on what our, the person we're speaking with has, has done in terms of setting themselves up to be in a non-distracting, very easy to focus, engaging environment, which is just people are most, mostly not doing that. Um, having a blurred background just, or, or, or virtual background, you, as soon as you start moving, like we're seeing little bits of, you know, it's like a little teaser trailer. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what you're talking about, but I want to know what's like, what is behind you? Right. Right. Like for example, my co-founder, has this incredible music instrument, like musical instrument collection in his background, all these amazing guitars. And he was worried that that was going to be distracting. So he blurred his background. Mm. But then in almost every conversation, people would be like, I would be like trying to demo the product and people would be like, Neil, is that a, is that a guitar in your background? <laughs> <laughs> like just show it. And so now, now he doesn't blur his background. He shows his guitars and then it becomes this really amazing opportunity for everyone to connect on yes. something that's not work-related because everyone has some kind of some kind of personal relationship to music. And that's coming full circle to what you were saying about the importance of the background is you get this opportunity to share something about yourself if you're intentional about it. Yes. Right. That's interesting. So behind me is an original piece of art by a local artist named Aldous Collins. I've been sitting in front of this for, I think I bought this in early COVID maybe, um, and have used this as a background in probably 80% of the content that I've distributed. And um, I love it. I know it's a distraction though because I'm an easily distracted person. This mm -hmm. piece of art is, you can almost see people like looking around my head because for listeners, again, there are words on this picture of one person's eye with a with a framed glass around it. It's really cool. And it's, a, it's an original. So there's no um, reproductions of it anywhere. So when people see it, they're kind of like, what? And then if I stand up, and this is why I ask about standing up, it mm -hmm. gets a whole different perspective of the art. You know, it'll show different um, views of it and 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 where it is. Now, the virtual background, if I had that, I could simply move it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the idea is, and this is what I learned today, to look directly into the little light, little camera, and you will be okay. Yes. For the most part. Yes. Yes. If you're the act, and by the way, I actually love, I love that painting, uh, that, um, <laughs> piece of art behind yes. you because all the words are so positive, right? Beautiful, smart, focused. I'm like, yes, thank you. Wow. Fantastic. Great reminders. You know, it's, it's, that's yes. nice. Um, but there's a lot of intentionality clearly in the way that you've shared that story. So, you know, it's not something that you're like, oh, I guess, oh, I just didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, I just figured people wouldn't notice. Right. Yeah, well, I notice, right? And if there's anything available for distraction, I'll take the opportunity to run two conversations at the same time all day, every day, right? So I'm mm -hmm. looking at this piece of art, and but I'm still 
doing my best to be intentional with you. And this is why I love the podcast concept too, is because it is that one-on-one conversation and the folks that are having those thoughtful one-on-one meetings, networking meetings and such, you know, it's so important to listen to a professional like you, Rachel, to say like, what am I, how am I presenting myself? Because, you know, this is an interaction, right? This is a, a purposeful interaction of many salespeople, especially global and national salespeople are on these calls every day. And if they're not presenting themselves the way they are, they're missing out on that solid referral relationship as opposed to they're chasing something and you know they don't even know why. So help me understand yeah. how you work with, with clients in that respect. So the tech, so just to be clear, when you say like how I work with clients, you're, okay. you're talking about the technology, right? The technology that you are um, engaged with, you are utilizing for, because you're a, a consultant, correct? Is that what the idea is or? No, that? Cool. no. So I don't, I used to very much be a consultant, facilitator, trainer, coach, you know, all those, all those different things. Um, and, and yes, very much within the nonverbal communication, body language presence space, but, but now with virtual sapiens, we have taken AI and we've automated a lot of what I used to do in these live one-on-one coaching conversations, right? So like what we were just doing earlier together, Mark, you know, me being like, okay, like let's, you know, let's lower the, let's bring the lens up so that you're at eye height, like your distance is good. You know, you could probably reduce the amount of negative space between the top of your, like all of that stuff now is programmed into a software. So you would just essentially activate the software, look at in this framing and it, the, the software will tell you like move a little bit to the left and like, you know, your lens is too high and, and then correct you that way. So, so yeah, so we're, we're things that I used to do in person to help people maximize their impact on video. Now we're using AI software to do that at scale and, wow. and much, much more affordable, right? And that company is available right now to the consumer? Yes. Virtual Sapiens is uh, up and running. You know, anyone can go to our website and try either of our products for free. Wow. So, wow, I'm so 2021. When did this software come to creation? So it's had many iterations. Yeah. The very first installment actually was more of a an assessment experience where you would send in a short video and, you know, Rachel, the AI would, you know, give you feedback and then we'd send it back. And that was all just to test if people would conceptually, you know, pay attention to something that an AI software was providing them in terms of feedback. And that worked really well, even though it was me giving the feedback, people were like, oh, that was really helpful, blah, blah, blah. So that first went live in... Gosh, honestly, it was like pretty early. It was 2020. Yeah. Okay. Early, is that right? No, 2021. So you were the chat bot. You were seeing the initial early adopters message come in and say, how am I doing? And you would analyze it and chat bot back to see if the, the market was there. Essentially, except it was more oh. asynchronous than that. So like you would 
uh, record a quick 30 second elevator pitch. I would get the recording. I would review it. I would send you back within like 24 hours. I would send you back your feedback. Um, And we kind of kept building and iterating on that. And then people would say, you know, oh, that was like great. But like, you know, it would be awesome is if I could somehow have that feedback, like during a call, right? Because it's one thing to go through this thing and then have someone tell you after the fact, like, yeah, well, you know, the majority of the time when you're speaking, you're not looking into the lens, you're looking down into the left. And that is really creating a barrier between the connection that you could have with your audience. You're like, okay, great. But like when I'm on video, I'm thinking about so many things and managing so many, it's hard for me to remember to look into the lens when I'm speaking. And so that's where the sidekick, the in-call communication coach evolved from. Wow. So So I'm a leader of a large organization and I have to do my quarterly call. I want it to come out as seamless as possible. I want people to see me as approachable. They want, uh, I want to uh, on the fly, if I start to get, you know, maybe I'm a shareholders meeting and so I got a question and I get a little flustered. I, on the fly, I've got a coach in my ear slash in front of me telling me, no, 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 slow down, move to the right, get calm. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. We, we are, and just to be very clear, so everyone's understanding the sidekick. So the in-call communication coach is like your own private coach or sidekick. That's like, you know, in the fields with you, it's almost like, you know, when you do those, um, uh, kite surfing classes, you'll put on a Bluetooth headset. And so you'll be out in the ocean going, however many, you know, knots or whatever the wind measurement is. And then your coach will be like, Oh, you need to tilt to the left and Uh, lean into the, and lean in, lean back, lean back, lean back. And it's like that, except it's visual and it's, it's on video and it will tell you things like stop touching, (laughs) stop touching your face with your hand. You've covered your mouth with your hand it's a huge barrier. Um, you know, if you're active, if you're the one who's listening and you haven't been showing that you're actively listening, so you've been a little bit frozen, it'll re- like remind you through a visual cue, like remember to it, it show you're engaged and show you've heard someone. So that could be a head nod. It could be a head tilt. It could be a change in your facial expression. You know, like we provide personalized nudges based on your behaviors in the moment but the way that you kind of internalize that correction and then change your behavior, that's very much up to you. Like we want people, we don't want to be too prescriptive. So it's, it's a shared relationship where you can ignore thumb up, kind of thumb down a suggestion, or um, are there certain guardrails that the software and Mm. to go down another rabbit hole, does the software simply lay on top of a zoom or a teams or something? That is so cool. Yeah, it's a Chrome extension, so you can use it with whatever your preferred video platform is. And it's very minimal. Like we don't, in an ideal world, you don't really notice your sidekick because things are just generally going well. And you can always look at it. And if things really are going well, like we're giving you presence points and the little logo's on fire and it's like very encouraging. It's all very visual in the sense that you don't have to read anything. And if a cue comes up that you disagree with, our, our cues are very, um, they're just very baseline best practices. And so you may disagree with it and you can ignore it. You can feel free to ignore it. That's fine. Um, 
but it'll it, keep coming up. It won't not, go away. <laughs> yeah, because you're not doing something right now. Pay yeah. attention. So I drive a Tesla, very similar yes. in the uh, machine learning. So yes. does the software that lays on top of Zoom or what have you learn me as opposed to learning from the box, like what the box contains? Currently, currently no. So currently the models themselves are pre-trained because what we're looking at is actually quite limited. We're looking at a human being on a screen. So we look at facial expressions, eye gaze, hand gestures, body posture. So the machine learning component is continuing to improve in terms of the, it's, it's accuracy in identifying that human, but the way that we allow you to have a more tailored kind of educational learning and improvement experience is that all of the scores are all relative to you. So like you receive a, a baseline benchmark the first time you use the tool and then everything is scored kind of against that, right? So your improvement is always based on your last call. And so in that sense, like it's always like your personal best and right. you're improving. So That's it's gamified it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got my high score today at my quarterly uh, team meeting. You'll get a little fire emoji. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So Rachel, you mentioned that you had a previous career in consulting with humans on the body language on uh, this very topic that is now in essence fired that industry. But how did you get into that industry in the first place? Great question. Also a little bit of a circuitous uh, route, but I used to be a professional ballet dancer. So for 10 years, I danced with Boston Ballet and my whole world was very much nonverbal expression and performance, you know, communicating very complicated or complex emotions and all that without the use of words. So that was very much my world for 10 years. I retired in 2016 because of a very uh, tragic and annoying injury, but um, such as life as a professional athlete. Well, and, what is the, uh, what is the life expectancy of a ballet dancer? I mean, how, what is the career span to that? It seems so daunting when I see ballet. So the interesting thing about ballet is that you start very, you start very early. Right. So while you may make it like, I would say anyone who's dancing professional still at the age of 30 that may be like a high average, but Got that's it. like in my book, I'm like, good for you. Right. That's solid. And because you, you know, you have to, things have to go so well in order for you to make it to that point. Your body has to sustain that level of pressure. You have to have been able to make a living as right. a professional ballet dancer, which is like already, it's like harder than making it to the NFL um, numbers wise. And so, yeah. Um, you, but you, you've started your career at the age of like 18. Right. So but you really so started it at the age of five, three. Yeah. three. Wow. Right. <laughs> so you pivoted. I, I hate that COVID word, but in this case, it seems pretty appropriate out of the professional ballet world, right into like a, is that a normal transition for a ballet artist to, to teach people how to use their body? Not in the way that I did it. It's okay. very normal to retire and then stay in the world of ballet and, and continue coaching, right. uh, teaching ballet to go into teaching yoga or Pilates or any of these other more very physical um, 
experiences and expressions of, of movements and, and health and wellness too. I, I had gotten my undergrad while I was dancing. So I didn't have to go back to college once I retired, which is rare. Typically Mm -hmm. you will, uh, you'll really just be focused on your ballet career. And so I retired and then got a normal, a regular job. I went to Harvard uh, in their major gift kind of fundraising office. And I got an entry-level job there. And it was the stark contrast between this super, super physical, physically oriented experience that I'd had as a dancer. And then what I observed in my cubicle that to me was almost like a spark going off understanding that there was a lot of physicality still at play in this more traditional world of work. And so that, that was a little seedling that had been planted. And I started developing programming around how you could feel, continue to feel good physically throughout your day and how you could have your physicality really align with whatever the messages were that you were trying to communicate to people. And thus be more productive and satisfied in what you're doing. And present and yeah, and the relationships themselves would be more trust-based and more fruitful. So tell me about those first few programs. So was there a nutrition component with a time block strategy? How did, how did you first develop this program? So the, the, actually the first iterations of this program were in the restaurant industry. So I developed programming specific to front of house staff in hospitality, in restaurants and, and cause they're on their feet right. all the time. So like the parallels were much more obvious. And so I worked with some of the leading restaurants in Boston coming in and training their staff on things like body awareness and body posture and understanding the impressions we're having when we're not talking because servers are often not talking. A lot of what they do is nonverbal. What, uh, what, what, was there resistance from the contributors, from the employees, the, the front of house that you're actually training? Were they like, we don't need this? Or were they open and receptive? The, the restaurants that I worked with, they were all super open and receptive because oh. we came at it from the perspective of like, we know that like, this is hard. Like what we're, what you're being asked to do is hard. It's, it can be very uncomfortable. It can be painful. Like by the end of the day, your back hurts, your knees hurt. Like you're not getting very much support because that, that aspect is often very much ignored. And so this is our way of providing you with some support and education so that you can feel better on the job. And so it was very well received was very well received. We're valuing you as an ownership, as a leadership, we're valuing you. We want to make sure that you're comfortable in what you're doing. So what was some of the strategies? Was there a posture like, you know, get up against the wall every 10 minutes and drink water and how, what, tell me, tell me more. Yeah. So they're the two main components to the like foundations class that I taught was number one, this um, very, it was called a circular warm up. So you would essentially just go through every joint in your body doing circles and really checking in with like, okay, how do I feel before I do this? And then, okay, let's do some of these circles, like shoulder circles, hand circles, knee, hip circles, ankle circles. And then how do I feel after that? And like, hands down, everyone's like, well, I feel a lot better. And it's like, yes, wow. because you've allowed circulation to move through your body 
and that flow gives you energy. It moves stuff that's otherwise stuck. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is a, the second component was a, like building an, what we, what I would call an anchor posture. So when you're just standing, how do you stand and how can you stand in a way that's supported so that you can really reinforce these feelings of presence and confidence and poise so that if anyone ever is looking at you, you, you can rest assured that you're sending a very reassuring message versus like, you know, slow slouched and slumped and low energy and kind of the, the postures that actually do drag us down. But you're not only doing it to provide service of, I am at attention, I am here to serve, but you're rooting in and actually benefiting your body yeah. and the energy through your body by rooting in. And that's, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. where did it evolve from there? So you're helping these five-star restaurants become seven-star restaurants and all of these folks are super gracious and and grateful. Where do you go from there? So from there, I had shared with some of my colleagues at Harvard that I was doing these sessions. Cool. And that was, it was one of my bosses at the time who was like, I think it would be pretty cool if you could do that here, actually, because I know I would love to learn more about how I can stand and use my body and my posture to, to inspire some confidence, some more confidence in myself and the, these amazingly generous donors that I'm getting to spend, not spend, but invest a lot of money into, into our mission at Harvard. So, so that was a, a, that first kind of segue into, oh, this is actually applicable to people. Everything. In, yeah. And like, right. But like, <laughs> everything client facing roles in particular right so so everything I I mean I remember I remember in the 80s watching 60 minutes and the Japanese factories would be out in the parking lot doing their pre-work calisthenics and everybody was like that's weird and that's dictator dictatorial like what is going on but yet hmm that was pretty smart yeah we so easily focus on the content of what we do that our bodies become so secondary. It's a, you know, we're a very head cerebral forward society and we forget we have these bodies. So then you move into this virtual setting and everybody is now on these virtual settings and they're having even more challenges because maybe they're becoming more sedentary, mm-hmm. right? They have to make the commute from the kitchen to the home office as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, getting in the car, which isn't a great uh, option, but nonetheless, they're out, they're walking, maybe they're walking to the train, they're walking to the office, they're walking up the stairs, mm-hmm. you know, but no, here they're kind of, you know, what do you, what do you encourage them before getting on a, on a big meeting to do pregame? Totally love this question. So interestingly, that circular warm-up and that postural exercise that I would use in my foundation in-person class, I updated for the virtual world. And when I first made the transition into coaching people in, in the virtual world, which was the you know prerequisite to launching virtual sapiens, I would always start with an exercise called physical anchoring which is all about reminding ourselves that we do have this physical three-dimensional experience 
and that the people on the other side of the screen also do. And that while it can feel a little two-dimensional and you know, the, like our brains are trying to figure out why we're trying to be animated in front of a screen, which is typically where we are just passive, right? Taking a moment to anchor yourself in your physical experience, whether that's, you know, again, it, 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 I, I do kind of a, a five minute long exercise that involves things like moving your body while still seated. You can do all of it still seated or taking a couple of deep breaths or, you know, these different expansive postures that can help us reinvigorate our energy so that when we do click join meeting, we're present in our, in our bodies, we're aware of the importance of that meeting, why, why we're joining it, our intention behind it, instead of just kind of throwing all of that out the window and just being on eight zoom calls back to back. And then at the end of the day, being like, I don't, I couldn't tell you what happened in one of them versus the other. They all felt like just felt like one long meeting to me. And do you hear that a lot? And I, you know, I, I think about this a lot with respect to the healthcare industry, right? The, the telehealth and those conversations and the potential burnout, right? Because is it sustainable for a person who went to, you know, 400 years of school and is a psychiatrist and it's like, er, click, boom, new meeting, click, boom, new meeting, click, boom. These are such heavy conversations, you know, to get to the end of that day and to think that everything blurred together as one is, you know, that's, that's frightening. Yeah. I, uh, most of the people that I, I worked with and, and actually what's fascinating to see is, um, some of the meeting activity for our sidekick users, right? Because we we see the events that they're logging in terms of like, okay, so-and-so used it eight times today, cool. which means that they were literally on eight video calls in one day. And, you know, we do try to, while, while we're, we're very much here for improving video meetings, improving the efficacy, improving the connection and the impact, but we're definitely not here to say that everything needs to be video meeting. Right. Right. You know, but, like, but you're aware that a lot of them are. So why not be as effective as possible? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, like if you see, if you start to see trends in your dashboards of, wow, every meeting I have internally with these people is super, like it's coming across as super low energy. Huh. Like why, why? And, you know, if other people are using sidekick, you can be like, yeah, they are too. Like, okay. Something like, is it the time of the meeting? Do we need to move the meeting to a different time of day or of the week? Maybe is that meeting too much? Is it too long? Like what, what is it? What is it about? That's so interesting. And and it's simply, it's more data. It's more Mm -hmm. information to help be more effective if someone is actually analyzing it, Mm -hmm. right? I know Mm -hmm. there's this one-on-one um, coach that, you know, sidekick is availing for the individual. Um, but to take that back to the team and kind of analyze and scrub and look like, you know, Mark's probably better from 8am to 11am. Like let's get him on the sales calls from eight to 11. And he starts to, he starts to wane, you know, he stopped drinking coffee in the afternoon and by two o'clock, he's not as effective as he would have been at 10. That's Mm -hmm. so fascinating. I have a question though. So a lot of times, so I'm teaching continuing education to real estate agents through this medium. Uh, so it's important to to understand, you know, how I'm coming off, right? How I'm conveying yeah. my my message mm-hmm. and my my purpose and and who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But while teaching these classes, um, I have like a ground rules, right? So a lot of people, you know, most people have been on Zoom simply based on the fact that COVID was an experience where they, mm -hmm. whether they were talking to friends or staying connected, Zoom was really a integral partner with people, right? So, but some people aren't super savvy with it. So we open up and talk about the chat, right? So ask your questions through the chat. Let's all test the chat and let's, let's do it. One of the other things I say to them is, and this is a stat that I was told from our mutual friend, uh, Eric Warner at Sandler, who's on the, mm -hmm. one of the previous episodes, check it out, um, is that, that you have 30% less fatigue if you're not looking at yourself. So if you hide self, does the software still work? Yes. Ah, yes. Oh wow. my gosh. I actually remember, I think I was on, I was in one of Eric's workshops. I was uh, doing a co-facilitation with him. And I think I had mentioned the hide yourself. Cool. Like so you're, you're the, you're the origination of that statement. Cool. So Eric, you have to give Rachel credit. Anytime you tell folks in class that stat, it's your friend, Rachel at Sidekick. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he heard it from me I'm first. I'm kidding you. But, but, but I, anyway, I but yes, definitely. Um, uh, hiding, I mean, it is absurd. It is absurd how much time you will spend looking at yourself if your self-view is active. It's just, we are not used to having conversations and being able to watch ourselves at the same time. Right. And so of course you're going to watch yourself and it's like, what are you doing on this video? Trying to connect with someone or trying to like, I don't know, watch it. It's just literally, I understand. So, uh, man, as I said, hiding yourself you is like my biggest, most important hack. The sidekick, if you're using the sidekick, you can confidently hide yourself you knowing that if you do anything that's not conducive to maintaining virtual presence, best practices from a communication perspective, your sidekick will let you know. Spalding, Spalding, don't pick your nose. Don't, 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 don't. Alarms <laughs> go off the whole deal, right? Don't eat yeah. it. Yes. That's a Caddyshack exactly. reference for the Gen X folks out there. <laughs> um, so I was, I was afraid to ask because I'm like, okay, will it work if the camera is technically off, but the computer's not off, right? So your, your overlay at uh, Sidekick is the software. What's the company name? Virtual again? Sapiens. Virtual Sapiens. I love that. Uh, but it's still managing my movements, even though I'm not distracted because it does give me a headache. But I also yeah. feel like I I need to have it there for some weird reason. Like I don't trust myself. Yep. It's, it's yeah, it's we're uncomfortable. Most people, most professionals are uncomfortable on video. And so mm -hmm. you want to have that reference of like, OK, yep, still there, still there. But the irony is that a lot of people will have their self view on and still not correct their, their framing or their lighting or whatever. It's almost like you just want to know you're still on camera, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you'll, I think that part of the fear is that if you're not looking, if you don't see yourself, do other people see you? Right. Right. And so it's, it's just a question of, I mean, so the sidekick will, um, the sidekick accesses your webcam. So the sidekick sees what your audience is seeing. And in that sense, it's not, it's not seeing anyone else. It's not, 
you know, it's not analyzing anyone else on the call. It's literally just, just for you. And it, and it takes on the audience's perspective. So, you know, if your sidekick isn't working, like if, if there's a cover across your webcam right. or something, then like the sidekick also won't work, but you can hide yourself view. And so long as the sidekick is still running, like it will still be able to analyze your web stream. Do you encourage people to have their own independent webcam as opposed to the computer cam? I don't. I I just use my regular integrated webcam. I think I think you can definitely get as fancy as you want with external external things. I do have a, a wireless keyboard so that my laptop can be distanced from myself and I don't have to like lean in to get to the keyboard. So I do enable different kind of ergonomic setups through external like Bluetooth or, or, you know, USB type things. I do have a, a separate mic. I think the audio quality is a really big one. So that was my next question. Yeah. That was my next question. I talk with people about that all the time when we're doing uh, pre-calls and for this and the podcast I'm doing for EO Boston is be respectful of your listener because you're getting as close to their brain mm. as you can. Mm-hmm. So honor that, right? Mm. Because most of whether it's video or audio, if it's on the podcast platform, it's in their ears. And I am definitely yeah. an audible learner, right? I have pretty much stopped reading if I can avoid it mm. and take it in through the in through the ear. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, I love that you are the audio is as close to that person's brain as you could be like literally I had not thought of that that's really interesting yeah I forget who told me that um Hmm. but it was recently and Mm -hmm. I'm owning it big time because when we're talking with people and we're saying you know come on you know the video is not going to be on so we don't have to do hair and makeup and we're gonna Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna um you know talk and use the verbal communications um but it has to has to has to sound good you know, it, you, we need a mic. Can I, can I ensure that you'll go get a mic and, and, you know, test it out with some people mm-hmm. unplug it, plug it in and see the difference, hear the difference, right? Hear the difference mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. what about meeting setups? I mean, same thing, right? Like present yourself as best you possibly can. So why wouldn't you deliver to somebody? What'd you say? Are you in a tunnel? Where, mm-hmm. where are you? You know, mm-hmm. when you can, right? Mm-hmm. Salesperson asking for an order, right? Present yourself in a way that is professional, right? You're not, you know, you're, I'm on the Sacred Bridge. I'll, can I call you back? Uh, you know, you're on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. It's a scheduled event. There's purpose and meaning behind it. Why not present as best as you can? Right. I mean, we certainly believe that fully at Virtual Sapiens. And I think, especially in these very competitive environments where there's limited time, there are limited resources, and you're literally competing with so many other players, the way that you represent, the way that you embody the the product or the offering or the solution or whatever it is, whatever value it is that you're allowing these people to unlock if they engage with you, like embodying that is a huge advantage, huge. And as you say, time is so important. And I want to be sensitive to your time. You've given us so much of your valuable time. I have a few more questions though, that I ask everybody. Mm. And the first one, Rachel, is I purchase Sidekick through um, Virtual Sapiens. 
and I go through and I'm using it on an ongoing basis. And I say, I want to give them a five-star review. What does that sound like? The five-star review, which would go on the Chrome extension store, by the way, Cool. <laughs> the virtual sapien sidekick showed me a lot about myself that I was not aware of and allowed me to improve the way that I show up in meetings so that I can confidently build trust and drive impact on video meetings. Love it. Love it. And of course, coming onto a podcast is, is sharing, is uh, being vulnerable, is expanding your comfort zone. One of the things we love on the show about expanding comfort zones is karaoke. Yes. We're going to have a event. And Rachel, you're next on stage. What are you singing? So my personal favorite song to sing is, I don't know if it's like a great karaoke song, but it's <laughs> Yesterday, the oh, Beatles. Oh my gosh. It's a great karaoke song. Is it? Why? Because it's not like so high energy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think there's room for the slow dance in karaoke, yeah. just like okay. there is in the disco. Yeah. Right. Oh so, yeah. So it would, I mean, they would like hands down. That's what I would sing first. And I would kind of be like, I don't care if it's slow. I'm going to put people right. to like, this is my song. <laughs> yeah. And you're a um, performer. You're a professional performer. You're teaching yeah. performance. So why not sit back and, and I mean it's a beautiful song that movie was awesome it. too by the way yeah I loved, loved it. it yeah um so the most important of them all how does someone find this product get involved dig in find more information about virtual sapien or or anything like how do they find you and the products our website virtualsapiens.co is where you can find access to everything that we're up to you can very easily try out our products for free. So you can take our assessment for free. You can try out the in-call sidekick for free. We have a pretty active blog that has thought leadership on body language specifically, but also future of work. So how you can think about meeting efficiencies and meeting etiquette in general. And, uh, and that's also how you could reach out to us directly through the website. Cool. So virtualsapiens.co. Leave the M off. Yes. Awesome. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing with us. I learned so much. I hope all of the listeners learned a tremendous amount. And I'm looking forward to giving this an assessment and a trial because I'm on this screen a lot and I want to present the best I possibly can. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Mark, for the conversation. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Elements of Styles. If you enjoyed this, if you learned something, please share it with somebody. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. 
Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.